I want to begin by uh, concluding a series we started um, at the beginning of this month, titled The Incarnate, From the Cradle to the Cross. And I want to start by reading from Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, which tells us, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible Translation, that in Christ, everybody say in Christ. In Christ, the Bible says, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In Christ, all the fullness, that is the essence, the character, uh, every, every aspect of God is embodied, is expressed in bodily form, suggesting to us that what God represents and what God invites you and I to experience by way of relationship with Him is all embodied in the person of Jesus Christ of whom we celebrate on this day. Of course, we celebrate Jesus every single Sunday, yes? Today is not the only day we're celebrating the Lord. We celebrate Him every single Sunday. But today is especially uh, important in the, in the history of the church because it is the day that we set aside to say thank you, God, for the gift of your Son. On a day like today, I'm, I'm always excited. I'm always excited because Christmas reminds us that, that Jesus is the reason for the season. It reminds us that it's not the gifts, even though they are great. It's not the food, even though that's great. Even It's not the fellowship, even though that's awesome. But that it is recognizing that we have this opportunity to celebrate. Why? Because God has given us a reason to celebrate. Has God not given you a reason to celebrate today? That's all of us this morning. God has given us all a reason to celebrate. I look back to the Old Testament when the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the like, began to preach about the coming Messiah. These men had only a glimpse of what the Messiah was going to do. They had only a glimpse of what he was going to be like. They had only a glimpse of the kind of impact he had on the world. But these men prophesied about Christ coming with confidence and hope that he would have the impact that God wanted him to have on the world. And friends, that is exactly what I believe Jesus came to do. The Bible says that God took on flesh and blood, that he might ultimately give his life on the cross to pay for my sins and your sins. Why? So that you and I, when we believe in his name, Bible says... John chapter 1 verse 12, he gives us the right. Everybody say the right. The right to become children of God. Becoming a child of God is not something that God owes you. It's not something that you work for. It's not something that you earn. It is a gift that is given to us by grace. Why? Because a sinful humanity cannot interact with a perfect God as long as sin is in the picture. As long as sin stands in the way, as long as sin is sitting on the throne of our hearts, we cannot have a relationship with God. And God loved us so much that he did something about that issue. He sent his son into this world so that Christ might be salvation for us. And so that when we believe in him, we can become his children. Over this last several weeks, we've been answering the question, why did Christ come as a man? Why did God send his son to the earth? Why was Jesus born? And why did he ultimately have to die? And so we're clear this morning. I want us to understand that in answering this question, we're not dealing with gender here. We're not talking about why he came as a man versus why he came as a woman. What we are addressing is, why would deity take on humanity? Why would God leave the glories of heaven to come to this uh, corrupt, uh, sinful earth and ultimately give his life on the cross? I gave you two re three reasons, excuse me, th two weeks ago. Why Jesus came as a man. And I want to encourage you, if you were not with us two Sundays ago, please, you can go on our podcast. We have several platforms that we are privileged to be able to uh, share our weekly messages on. You can go on any one of those and be able to listen to past messages. But I want to quickly recap what we have addressed over the last uh, couple of weeks. First, we learned that Scripture shows us that Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, He came as a man so that He would reveal a holy and righteous God to humanity 
who because of sin's control could not have a relationship with God. Nor could we even comprehend, comprehend who God was and, or what God is like. We also learn that scripture shows us Christ came as a man to establish an eternal kingdom through a descendant of David. That God's promise that he would raise up a king from the lineage of David that would establish an eternal kingdom could only be fulfilled by God coming to the earth as man. And third, we learn that scripture shows us that Christ came as a man to be our perfect substitute in order that he might pay the penalty for our sins, which keeps us from a relationship with God. Today, I want to share with you just one more reason why Christ came as a man. And to preface that today, we're going to read from the book of Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, or if you have your phone, your app, please turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 5 to verse 11, Philippians chapter 2. And I'm also going to be reading from the New American Translation for that as well. I want to provide a little bit of context for the scripture about to read. Written by the Apostle Paul, uh, this book was um, was written at a time when the group of believers to which Paul writes to were struggling, were going through all kinds of challenges to their faith. And, and what Paul does is he presents Jesus as the example for these believers of how to endure, how to respond to those challenges with courage and with joy. And what's particularly curious to me about the scripture we're about to read is that Paul paints for you and I this picture of our Savior not being this um, necessarily this uh, military genius or this uh, this, this imposing figure, but what Paul does is he presents Christ to us as a humble Savior who gave up his high place in heaven in order that he might come here and give his life for our sake. And as we read this scripture, I want us to do something that we've never done here before, but I want you to help me read this scripture together. So as I read the scripture, you're going to see the words on the screen behind me. You're going to see parts of the scripture that are highlighted in yellow. Whenever we get to that point, as I'm reading, where, we, where I get to the point where the word is highlighted in yellow, I want us all to read it together, all right? So we're going to practice. We're going to read the first verse, verse 5. So we're going to practice together so we can get a hang of this. Let's read together. Have this in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. Very good. Wow, give yourself a hand of applause. Man, I am, I'm impressed. All right, so let's do this. Let's get right into the scripture. Let's read verse 5 once again. Have this in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who as he already in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he himself by taking the of a bondservant and being born in the of men and being found in appearance as a he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. For this reason also God highly him and on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every, every, every will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love that scripture. As I was preparing this message, I kept, I kept reading that scripture over and over, and I kept getting chills. I kept getting chills. Because when you, when you come to terms with the reality of the magnificence of God and, and why God would love us so much that he would do what he did, that he would leave the glories of heaven and come down to earth for our sake. For our sake. I, you know, I heard a preacher say this many years ago, and I, I believe this with, this with all my heart. If I was the only one that needed to be saved, he would have still come. 
If you were the only one that needed to be saved, Jesus would have still come. That's how important you and I are to God. And it is worth celebrating what God has done for you and I. Again, the question I want to ask you this morning is why Jesus came as a man. And the main point I want to drive home with us this morning is this. I believe that Christ came as a man in order that he might be for you and I the perfect example. Everybody say example. He came to be the perfect example of how you and I must pursue God's will. I'm so grateful that God didn't just create me and then just leave me to exist on my own, independent of Him or or oblivious to who He is. God created me to know Him. God created me to walk with Him. God created me to live for Him. And yes, it took a while for me to come to terms or to come to grasp uh, the concept of God's love, but I'm grateful that God saved me. I'm grateful that God has changed my life, and I'm grateful that I know that I have a home in heaven to look forward to. Why? Because Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. In the scriptures that we read this morning, I want you to know with me, if you will, that throughout Christ's ministry on earth, Christ often and always referred to doing His Father's will. When people would ask Him what He was here on the earth for, what He came to do, why He was doing what He did the way He did Him, He often referred to the fact that He was doing His Father's will. In John chapter 5 verse 19, Jesus said that He came to do the will of His Father and not His own. In John chapter 10 verse 25, He said that the works that He carried out were being done in the Father's name. In John 10 verse 37, he told his followers that his credibility was based on whether or not he did what the Father sent him to do. In John 15, 15, Jesus said that everything he was relaying to you and I was first received from the Father. In Matthew 7, 21, he taught that only those who do the will of the Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. And in Luke twenty two forty two, 42, while he was praying in that garden the night he was betrayed... Jesus acknowledged that inasmuch as he preferred that this cup of suffering might be removed from him, he said these words, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In these and in every instance where we see Christ refer to God's will as priority in his life, when he's questioned about the who, what, where, why, and how of his ministry, Christ was always about doing the will of the Father. And in exemplifying this attitude of adherence to the Father's will, Christ proved himself to be yours and my perfect example of what it means to pursue God's will and how we are to do so with every fiber of our being. And so in these next few minutes, I just want to share with you what Christ's example of obedience to the Father's will means for us today. The first point I want to share with you is this. Jesus, by way of his example, illustrates this point that doing the Father's will will always, it should always be about bringing him glory. The point of doing the Father's will, the point of pursuing the Father's will is about bringing him glory. In verse 6 of Philippians chapter 2, which we just read, Jesus, we see, did not consider, the Bible says, equality with God as something to be grasped. Even though he is fully God, as he was fully man, the Bible says that Jesus did not see his, uh, his position as God, as something that he needed to be grasping with or, or, or fighting for. Why? Because he recognized that in coming to the earth, that he was coming to bring glory to his Father, and that that was the reason why he was here. Because you see, bringing glory to the Father was the utmost priority of Christ's life and ministry. And by his example, you and I must be inspired to do the same, to make glorifying God our priority as well. Every single day, no matter what we are doing, whether we are at home, whether we are on the road, whether we are in the store, on the job, with our friends, it doesn't matter. Every aspect of our lives as children of God must be about bringing glory to God. 
Of course, it should not be noted, friends, that God's glory is somehow diminished or is increased simply because of what we do. Any more than you and I can make the sun brighter, any more than you and I can make water wetter or make the sky bluer, we cannot add to or take away from the glory of God. But here's what we must understand. While we do not live for God's glory, we don't live for God's glory because His glory needs improving. Rather, we exist. Everybody say exist. Say to your neighbor, neighbor, you exist to bring attention to who God is. That's what it means to bring glory to God. That you are drawing attention to who He is. That in your words, in your actions, in your attitudes, in your response to even the hardships that we face from day to day, that we are to bring attention to who He is. That when the world watches us, that they don't just see us and they, they don't just commend us for being good or being resilient or being enduring. But what they do is that they are drawn to God. Why? Because they see God in us. This was Christ's priority throughout his earthly ministry. That by knowing him, you and I could know the Father. And as we see demonstrated over and over again, both in his high points and the low points of his ministry, Christ always was about bringing glory to God. I want you to note in John chapter 17 verse 1 to 4. The night that Christ was betrayed, um, John gives us the impression that this happened right before he and the disciples went to the garden where he was later betrayed. But in verse 1, I want you to hear what Jesus said. Raising his, voice to, raising his eyes excuse me, to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Just as you gave him authority over all mankind so that all may know you so that all excuse me whom you have given him he may so that to all whom you have given him he may give eternal life and this is eternal life jesus says that they may know you the only true god of jesus christ whom you have sent i glorified in the earth by accomplishing the work which you have given me to do so in a nutshell what christ was basically saying to the father is father you sent me here to glorify you and that by revealing your truth so that a world that desperately needs to know you can know you. So just as Christ was motivated by a desire to help, uh, to help you and I discover the truth of God, uh, the truth about God, and in doing so to glorify God, then you and I also must embrace that example that as we live each day, that we're reminded that our lives are meant to be lived for His glory. But not only that, we see that by His example of pursuing the Father's will, Christ inspires you and I to strive for God's glory, but also... He shows us that the cost of doing the Father's will is our complete and total surrender. The price that you and I are required to pay to do God's will, to pursue God's will, is that we completely surrender to Him. When you look at Christ's life, you realize that Christ paid a heavy toll to do the Father's will. Christ came to this earth. He endured much on our behalf. And, and, and we, it must not be lost on us, the price that He paid. But understand this morning that Christ paid a heavy price. What was that price? Philippians 2 tells us that Christ emptied himself. That is, he laid aside his independent use of his own attributes as God. He became human. And in doing so, identifies with us in our daily experience. He served others. And he did so selflessly to meet their needs. But he also ultimately died willingly to pay for the sins of the world. None of these sins that Christ did could have happened unless he was willing to totally surrender to the Father's will. 
We can never underestimate the fact that while it is wanting to promise or to declare, God, I will live for you. God, I will die for you. As Peter did. Remember the night that, he was, that Christ was betrayed? He was, telling Je- he was telling Jesus, even if all these other dudes deny you, I will never deny you. And yet, how many hours later, when he was confronted with whether or not he knew Jesus, the Bible says three times he denied Christ. He was even swearing that he did not know who Jesus was. And yet here was a man who was professing that he would die for Jesus. It is one thing for us to say we will live for God, we will serve him. It's another thing entirely to follow through, especially when obeying God comes at a price. Because you need to understand today, friends, that surrender is an essential ingredient of obedience. If we're to follow Christ's example of total surrender in our pursuit of God's will, we must, like Christ, model, as Jesus modeled, we must prioritize emptying ourselves. What does that mean? We set aside our right to have things our way. We set aside our right to have things go the way we want them to go, and instead we choose God's. And that we put God first, that we submit to His will. Why? Because we trust that God's will is better than mine. We serve God selflessly. How? By allowing him to use our lives, to use our time, our talents, and our treasures to minister to the needs of others. And we also do so by living for him, acknowledging by our commitment to him that we recognize that we belong to him. And because we belong to him, we are called to live for him. The bottom line this morning, friends, is this. We cannot pursue God's will for our lives unless we are willing to surrender our lives to him. You cannot serve God unless you're willing to surrender to him. And as a man, Jesus did, not, uh, did, did it to show us that obeying God will come at a price of abandoning our will, abandoning our preferences, and abandoning our own expectations. And my prayer for you today is that as our Savior did in that garden where he was willing to say, God, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, that every single day, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're faced with, that we would be able to say the same, God, not my will, but your will be done. That we would pursue God's will with total surrender and total abandon. But here's the last point I want to share with you this morning. By his example to us, Christ shows us not only that obedience to the Father requires uh, surrender, but he also promises that the reward for doing the Father's will is always worth the risk involved. There is great risk involved with doing God's will for your life. But realize that the reward that comes from doing what God wants you to do is far greater than the risk involved. There's a gentleman by the name of James Patterson. He authored the book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I want you to hear what he defines obedience as. He says obedience is a hopeful race. He describes obedience as a hopeful race toward God's promises. God has made promises to you and I. But in order for us to experience or for those promises to become reality in our lives, we have to take a step of faith. We have to take a step of obedience. God is asking us that he wants to take us in the direction. We're not simply saying, well, God, prove yourself first to me, and then I will follow. No. God says that we are to take him at his word and follow where he leads and trust that where he will lead us is for our blessing and our benefit. So obedience really is about us saying, God, I believe what you said. I'm going to take a step forward in obedience to you, knowing that you will indeed prove your word in my life. When you consider the life and ministry of Christ, you find that he didn't just teach this principle of obedience to the Father. He lived it out every day. In verse 9 to verse 11, Paul tells us that as a result of of Christ's commitment to glorifying the Father and to submitting to the Father's will, this is what he says God did. God exalted Jesus. God bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow on the earth 
about those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will what? Will confess that Christ is Lord again to the glory of God the Father. So you see, for Christ, the reward of obeying the Father, no matter how much risk was involved, was worth it. And the reality is this, is that if it, it would not have mattered even if the risks that, that, came to, uh, that came with obeying the Father ultimately required that he give up his life, Jesus willingly did so. I remember when I was a kid growing up watching movies like Jesus of Nazareth, those three, four hour long movies, and, and I would get to the points or the parts in the movie where Jesus is being flogged, he's being spit on, and he's, he's being called all kinds of names, and I would get angry. And I was always saying to myself, man, if I was God, I would not put up with this. If I was God, I would not accept that. I, if, I, if I was God, I would, have, I would have just lashed out. And, I mean, you just started seeing lightning flashing everywhere as people are dropping dead. That's what I would have done. But I'm grateful that that's not what he did. He understood what was involved with obeying the Father, and he did it. He did it willingly. And because he did it willingly, you and I are here today. You and I are here. We, friends, are the reward. We are the reward of the risk that Christ took to give himself up for humanity. For Jesus, that risk attached with obedience was a worthy price to pay because your soul, your standing, your security matters to God. Again, if you're the only one that needed to be saved, Jesus would still have been born. He would have still died. Why? Because you and I matter to God. And if the reward of gaining eternal life was enough for Jesus to risk everything, even his very life for you and me, if you and I are truly committed to following an example, what risk is too great a price to pay? If Jesus was willing to give his life for you, not just for you to have abundant life in this life, but that you would have the hope of eternal life, what risk that he's asking you to give up for him is too great a price to ask? Friends, the answer is nothing. And often you've heard me refer to a missionary by the name of Jim Elliot. He's one of my heroes in the faith because he was a man who understood the importance of risk and was willing to give up everything for the sake of the gospel. Jamele was a missionary, for those of you that don't know, from the 50s, who was martyred in 1956 by the very people he set out to reach with the gospel of Christ. And he did so understanding fully well the risk that was involved. And he writes a quote that, um, that I want to share with you again. It's a quote that I, I've embraced. It's a quote I believe with all my heart. It's so true. But this is what he says. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Those words Jim penned less than three months to the day he died. According to historians, he, had, he and a colleague, few of his colleagues had gone to a particular tribe and they were, they, they were aware that this tribe was very, very hostile to outsiders. And yet Jim recognized that these people needed to hear about Jesus. In fact, there was a scenario, I didn't even realize this, but I was reading, as I was reading this story yesterday, I, I came to a part in the story where I learned that apparently um, those who were escorting Jim and his colleagues had actually warned Jim and his colleagues to take weapons with them in case they faced hostility so at least they could defend themselves. Um, so Jim had a gun. His colleagues had, had guns with them. But when this particular tribe showed up and the, their warriors showed up with spears drawn ready to strike, Jim actually considered pulling out his weapon to shoot, to defend himself. But he, he chose not to do so because he recognized that this is not why he came. He, he, didn't, he, he, didn't, he didn't come to attack anybody. He didn't come to take anyone's life, especially knowing that they had not yet heard the gospel. And, and so Jim, according to historians, kept that weapon holstered. And they did everything they could to, to, try, to, to try to appease 
these words that, that it accosted them. But, but less than three months to, to the day, to, from the day he wrote these words, he and his friends would lose their life. Now, to the average person, they might say, well, that, that was very wasteful of a life. That was very, very foolish of Jim, especially knowing that he had a wife and a 10-month-old child waiting at home. Knowing the risk that was involved with going to this place he was going, why did he have to be him? Why couldn't he be somebody else? But Jim understood that the gospel required that whatever risk was involved, he had to pay it. For Jim, the reward of pursuing God's will was worth whatever risk he and his colleagues would face because they believed that God demanded them of it. Many years after Jim and his friends were killed, his wife, Elizabeth, and their, temot, temot, their, their, their baby daughter moved into this tribe and lived among the very people that had killed her husband. And they started a great work among that tribe and were able to lead many to Christ. She continued his life and legacy. She knew that the reason he did what he did, the reason he was willing to give his life was because he understood that those people were worth it, that they needed to know about Christ. And so when he died, rather than sulk or, 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 or live with regrets, Elizabeth chose to continue the work her husband had started. And to this day, the gospel is moving in that particular tribe. All because one man was willing to risk everything. Can I tell you that for Jim, Christ was his example. Jim wasn't simply trying to be brave. He wasn't simply trying to do it for accolade or for, or for things to be said about him. He did it because Jesus has set the example for him. Of a life of sacrifice, a life willing to be in total surrender to God's will and to give up everything in making that a reality. Maybe for you this morning, the risk of pursuing God's will doesn't necessarily involve laying down your life literally, but it might involve doing some hard things, some difficult things, some challenging things for you. For someone here today, it might mean forgiving someone who has hurt you badly because doing so, forgiving them can be the catalyst for their salvation. For someone here today, it might mean foregoing a promotion because getting that particular role might call for you to, to do some things that are morally or ethically unacceptable. Maybe for someone here today, it might mean depriving yourself of something that you desire, something that you want for yourself, but God is saying, I want you to take that resource and I want you to bless somebody else. Or maybe for someone here this morning, it may mean walking away from a life of bad choices, bad decisions, associations that have not been beneficial to you are, are questionable. Why? Because you recognize that even though you gain some kind of momentary pleasure or satisfaction from them, what it does is it leaves you empty and unfulfilled. Every one of us are called to give up something, to give up something for the sake of Christ. And I'm not simply just asking you to just throw caution to the wind and just abandon yourself in the sense of just doing whatever just comes to you, comes to you or just comes to mind, but, 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 that you are, but that you are allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you, that you're allowing the Holy Spirit to direct you, to guide you in the choices and decisions you're making. Why? Because your ultimate goal is to do the will of the Father. I cannot sit here and tell you that this is, that to tell you, my, from, you know, from my perspective, that this is what God tells you you have to do. No, you have to discern what God is asking you to do. And even if it is something that is hard, something that maybe you feel like, or maybe other people around you are telling you, you cannot possibly do that. It is too big a risk. It is too big a price to pay to do what you think God is asking you to do. Trust God. Trust God. Trust that God knows what he's doing when he asks you to take that risk. Why? Because the reward is greater. If we were to experience God's will and best for our lives, it would require that we evaluate anything that stands in opposition to his lordship in our hearts and that we decide, God, we are going to pursue your will and that doing so is better than the alternative. 
Jesus, by his example, inspires you and I to be willing to give up everything, knowing that the reward for obedience is far greater than the risk involved. So as we celebrate Christmas, the 25th of December, we set aside to celebrate the birth of Jesus. I want to, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to look to Christ. Again, not as a reason simply that we get to eat and we get to be merry and we get to receive gifts, but that we celebrate them as the reason or as the example for how we are to live. That in this coming year, that God will enable us to go deeper, that God will enable us to go further, that God will enable us to go higher, that God will enable us to do greater things for His namesake. Not because we have it in ourselves to do those things, but because God is enabling us to do those things. And I encourage you on our way to heaven, let us celebrate Christ by honoring the example he has left for us. An example of subservient, selfless, and sacrificial obedience to the Father. And I would say, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus this morning, what better way on the day we celebrate the birth of our Savior than for you to enter into a new relationship where you are born again, you, are, you, 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 you have a, a spiritual birthday because you surrendered your heart to the Lord. You can do that today by asking Him to come into your heart to forgive you of your sins. Where you recognize what Christ did on the cross, He did for you. The only thing He asks in return is that we put our faith and trust in the finished work that He accomplished on our behalf. And know that in doing so, that we shall be forgiven of sin and brought into relationship with God because we put our trust in Christ. I want to invite every head to be bowed and every eyes closed this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word. I thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul reminding us that Christ is our example. That when Christ came, he came to be our example. He came to be an example for us of what it truly means to pursue your will. Christ gave himself willingly. He submitted to your will for his life. As difficult as it was, as challenging as it was, he did it. He did it because he loved you. And he did it because he loves us. And God, I thank you that because of what he did, we are who we are today. Because of what Jesus did, our lives have been changed. We have a hope and a future. We have been given a new identity. And God, I pray that every single day you would help us, Lord, to remember the example of our Savior, and to follow in his footsteps. God, thank you for the grace and the strength and the wisdom that you give us, Lord, to live for you. Thank you, Father, for, Lord, your call upon our lives and the leadership of the Holy Spirit in, in helping us to discern what is your heart and will for us, Lord. And thank you, God, for the power that you give us, Lord, to pursue your will. That every single day, God, our lives will bring glory to you. Every single day, God, our words, our actions will bring glory to you. Every single day, God, everyone that we encounter, when they see us, that God, they will see Christ and that they'll be drawn to him today and every single day. Father, I pray for anyone that is here who is desires to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. God, thank you that the word reminds us that it is on the confession of our sin, the profession of our hearts that indeed Christ came and he died for our sins and that through him we are forgiven, that we cannot earn righteousness, we cannot earn holiness, we cannot earn right standing with you, that all of it is made possible through Jesus. And that God, whomever that may be today, they will call on you in faith, believe that God you will hear them and that God you will forgive them 
And that God, you would change them. And that God, their lives would bring glory to you from this point forward. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, I just want to invite you, if you're here and you say, Pastor John, please pray with me today that I would embrace Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. I want to be a child of God. I don't want to simply know about him. I don't want to simply know of him. I want to know him personally. You can do that by calling out to him and he will forgive you. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And I want to invite the congregation to join with us in praying this prayer to encourage those who are making a commitment of faith in Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I thank you this morning for the opportunity that you have given me to make things right with you. I come to you right now and I acknowledge today that I am a sinner and that it is for my sins that you sent your son Jesus Christ so that he might give his life to pay for my sin. I thank you that today forgiveness is found in placing my trust in Jesus. Not trying to make excuses, not trying to justify or rationalize my sin, but owning my sin and acknowledging that it is my sin that put him on the cross. I thank you for loving me. I thank you for dying for me. And I open my heart to you today and I invite you to be the Lord of my life. And then from this day forward, through the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit, that I will live for you, that I will walk with you, that I will help you to be known. Thank you, God, for giving me new life today. On this Christmas morning, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.